Hey, party people, what's going on? You're back with Bar Down Breakdown. You're here because you love us. It's me, Tom, and Mike, and dude, do we have an episode for you? We've got the dinger himself, Mr. Chris Dingman, two-time Stanley Cup winner on the pod for today, and I am so stoked for it. Our interview coming up is going to be incredible, but before we get into all the hockey that we've got coming up, Mikey, tell us a little bit more about Hot Mike and what we're doing with them. Yeah, so because of this podcast, we were approached by Hot Mike, um, you know, with the return to play. And since fans cannot be in the building and, like, you know, I can't even get to do, like, aisles meetups like I normally do, um, a lot of people are missing that fan interaction that, you know, makes sports special. And... I really strongly believe that Hot Mike will bring that still like intimacy that fans have with each other into, you know, virtual experiences. And I am super excited to announce that we are going to be live streaming select NHL playoff games. You know, obviously Tom and I being Islander fans, we will do as many of the Islander games as we can, but we are also branching out and covering games that Tom and I don't have any skin in at all, which will be fun because, you know, a lot of times we're so invested in Islander games because we're Islander fans and it's stressful, like all of us know. And to be able to watch games that don't have a, like as much of an impact on us and kind of just be neutral will be uh, enjoyable, and Hot Mike's going to allow us to do that. So go ahead, head to your Google App Store, your Apple App Store, download the Hot Mike app. You will be prompt to create an account, and make sure you enter the code BARDOWNBREAKDOWN. Um, that will, you know, just give us a little coin to continue doing the, the podcast, and also just a quick way to make sure that you are following along with what we are doing through the playoffs. So, you know, you'll have a chance to sync your stream up with Tom's stream and my stream so that we are all at the same exact point on the game. And we're just going to have fun. It's going to be super casual, just a, a way for us to hang out and interact. So super excited to do that. Hopefully you join us. And uh, like I said, Head to the App Store, download the Hot Mic app, enter the code BARDOWNBREAKDOWN, and follow along. Yeah, man, for sure. It's going to be a cool little thing getting to uh, watch these games and kind of chat along with them so you can see our insight and you can hear us, uh, you know, yell at Josh Bailey and, you know, talk shit about, I don't know who we got. I don't know. We're, we'll, I'll be talking shit. I'm sure it's going to happen. I'm just going to talk uh, but, shit about Tom. Yeah. I mean, you guys could try, but you know, it would be super, you know, what, don't worry. what's the, what's the thing? What's the thing they say? I forget. It's something I forget. I used to say it in grade school. It's like something, something glue sticks to me, sticks to you. I don't know. I don't know. I'm guys, rubber and you're glue. 
Yes. Whatever that, you that say bounces off of me and sticks to you. See, you knew it, man. You knew it. Yeah. With your, little, with your little frosted tips, you knew it. So, guys, listen. Hockey is coming back. We're super pumped. And uh, the unbelievable thing, uh, you know, who knew? But, you know, we're watching all these players, you know, go into the bubble, and, like, a bunch of them are bringing instruments, guitars. I didn't know so many hockey players were actually playing music. Where are all you guys? You know? I mean, we're here. You got to come on our show, all of you. If you're in this bubble and you're listening to us in your bubble, you're probably not. But if you are and you have a guitar in there, come on the show. Talk to us. That's what we want. I'm like 99% sure that Matt Barzell does not know a single chord. He just carries an empty (laughs) guitar case. And he's just like, yeah, ladies, that's right. Not just the man rocket, but also we'll sing you to sleep. And love it. And, and guarantee like knows no chords, can't can't play a song. I I I just I laughed at that one. Like I I do know that Jordan Eberle is a legit musician, but you know does more like country music. Uh-huh. But seeing Matt Barzell with the guitar case was just so funny because he's like the dude in college that like has a guitar but doesn't know how to play it. And then like I feel like the old man of the team like. Boy Chuck or something just oh, comes just playing over. John Denver songs all day. <laughs> then he comes over and he's like, "This damn young kid's music is too loud," and ends up smashing his guitar right in front of him. Yeah, and, like and, an animal. <laughs> and I heard like Brian Compton ask them in the interview, like, "What would you call your band?" Or, or like, you know, are you guys gonna jam out? And like, as as we've done this podcast so long that we we do know like you know, to stereotype them that hockey players don't like the best music. Yep. So, like, I could picture them playing, like, a trap song, like, Headstrong or Taker. Uh, like, I hope not. Man. I hope not, but, but, like, I could see them because they're just so, like, tone tone deaf to that kind of stuff and then also, like, just don't really like good music. But I thought that was funny. Yeah. I mean, it. you know, I, I think it's super cool and I'm super excited for, you know, all these uh, exhibition games and playing games to start. But, uh, you know, obviously we've got, like I said earlier on, on this podcast, uh, um, you know, kind of a, mon- a monumental occasion for us. Uh, we've got the one and only uh, Chris Dingman, the dinger himself, who is uh, he's a drummer and he's good. Uh, so, you know, he's probably not like, you know, Barzy just trying to play a bar chord. You know, he's got some stuff going on. And uh, uh, we talked to him a little bit about, you know, his playing career. We talked to him about his musical career and all the cool stuff he's done. Uh, really excited for you guys to hear this episode because, I mean, how often do you get to talk to someone who's hoisted the cup above their head twice? And he gave us some insight on, you know, what he did with the cup when he had it. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. And you know, we talked hockey, you know, we talked, uh, you know, we talked Tampa Bay, we talked Colorado, we talked him coming up in the, in the WHL and, uh, you know, all this cool stuff. I don't have to tell you all about it because you're going to listen. You're probably just as pumped as I am. So, um, check out this, this interview we did with Dinger, man. And, uh, you know, he was gracious enough to give us an hour of his time while he was waiting, uh, you know, out in the car while his, uh, his kid was playing some hockey himself. So, Oh, he was definitely not in the car, dude. Like, the beautiful sounds of the hockey rink will just be gracing us throughout the interview. Like, just 
pucks zinging by and like <laughs> boards being being hit like it just it it sounds beautiful to me like hearing the hockey rink and kids playing hockey again is just music to my ears man you know what man i didn't catch all those cool sounds but you know who knows man i was dialed in but anyways yo this interview rips this was a cool one and i really hope you enjoy it so without further ado here's our interview with dinger we hope you enjoy back everyone episode 73 and this one is particularly special for us because we have on our show not a one-time but a two-time stanley cup winner just let that sink in two times this man was able to raise the cup above his head unbelievable that we get an opportunity to talk to chris dingman aka dinger had a storied career so, Chris, what's going on, man? Thanks for being with us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it a storied career. <laughs> I'd call it more maybe uh, right place, right time. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm just actually at a hockey rink right now uh, watching one of my sons uh, practice. So, kind of fitting. Excellent. 
Yeah, there you go. What? Uh, so your your son? How old is he? Well, I got two. I got a thirteen-year-old, eleven-year-old, and then I got a nine-month-old baby girl. Excellent, so, man! Congratulations. Uh, so uh, your 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 kid uh, that that you you know you're at the rink right now. What uh, what positions is he playing? Uh, both my boys are forwards, so they you know they play center, wing, kind of rotate between both. So awesome. uh, the one the one who I'm here with today. He's, uh, well, he can play both wings. Versatile. <laughs> you got to be able to play everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah, you definitely need that uh, that versatility. So um, I guess let's, let's jump right into it. So, um, you know, obviously you, uh, you know, I, I say storied, you know, for me, that that's how I see it. Uh, I think you're just being modest, but that's totally cool. I can appreciate the modesty, but, uh, you know, obviously you've, uh, you know, you, your first season, uh, you know, in the WHL, we're talking 92, 93. Um, so I guess let's talk a little bit about that. So like your, your kind of first foray into playing professional hockey, obviously you were young, you know, what's that experience like, you know, as a, you know, as a young guy coming in, kind of getting ready to, to get, to get to the dance, uh, what kind of experiences did you have, you know, as you were younger in the WHL? Ooh, well, <clears throat> I rode a bus a lot. <laughs> so it was, uh, <clears throat> I, wrote, I read a lot of books and we watched a lot of movies when we won but um you know it was a it was a great experience it uh you know i went to a story franchise uh in the brandon weekings and you know they had some tough years before i got there so i actually got there at the right time but i was actually drafted by seattle and i went to the memorial cup they were hosting and they uh the year before i was 15 and they flew my parents and myself out and then we went and I was all excited to go to Seattle because I'm a drummer and, you know, whatever. And I'm in a, you know, I like all kinds of music, but I'm primarily like a hard rock, heavy metal, grunge kind of guy. Awesome. So I was all excited. Uh, I was all excited to go to Seattle. And then uh, two days after Memorial Cup, I got a phone call from Kelly McCrimmon and said, hey, Chris, Kelly McCrimmon for the brand Weekings, we just acquired your rights. <laughs> I was like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> so <clears throat> we pulled out the old Atlas and uh, looked it up. So you go from Seattle, a city of, you know, millions of people to uh brandy manitoba where there was uh 42,000 people and i was like oh my god <laughs> Jesus, what are we gonna do here but uh, you know my parents just said go give it a try and you know i wanted to play hockey and it was great it was a great four years uh my coach was awesome bobby lowe's like I've, I've played for a few quite a few intense coaches that they'd like to raise their voice let's just say that and <laughs> uh you know the guys are all a little cocky and you know, at times when you're young, and <clears throat> I just remember showing, I was doing another podcast, and someone asked me, you know, what well, my coaches and what my experience. I remember, you know, my first game and stuff, and I was like, I remember going to training camp, and I remember seeing my coach Bobby Lowe's, and he took one look at me because I had like three earrings, <laughs> I had three down low and one up top, and he looked and took one look at me. He's like, "You don't think you're keeping those effing things, do you?" And I was like, "Well, <laughs> <laughs> I thought so." He's like, "Not if you're gonna play here," and I was like, "Okay." So that was uh, my introduction to the Western Hockey League. So it was uh, it was a good experience, but uh, I knew right away that it didn't matter if you're the 11th overall pick in the Bantam draft or the 50th or the 100th. Uh, there's a way you do things. You As a rookie, you carried the stick bag, you carried the skate sharpener, and carried the bags, you paid your dues, and uh, that's what it was. So it was uh, it was good. And when people complain about travel, I just look at them and go, are you kidding me? Because we had... Our closest trip was three and a half hours to Regina, and then we had Medicine Hats and uh, Moose Jaw. They were like eight and ten hours Prince Albert, so in our division. So we get on, you know, we go to school half a day or go to the rink in the morning and <clears throat> get on the bus and 
stop halfway and get, you know, get a pregame meal at some tiny little rink in the middle of nowhere or a restaurant to get back on the bus, go play the game and then eat and then get back on the bus and get home at, you know, sometimes five, six in the morning, have a shower and go to school and then go to practice. <laughs> and so yeah, people complain about being tired and travel. I just, I laugh. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, on, on these long bus rides and, you know, we're talking obviously, you know, early nineties, mid nineties, uh, you know, wh- what were you, what were you carrying to listen to music? I mean, are, are we talking old school Walkman? Did you have a Discman yet? And like, you know, what were some of the, the tunes you were listening to on those long bus rides? Oh man. When I started out, it was like firehouse. It was a lot, it was a good, cause the veterans controlled the, well, they controlled the music. So you kind of learned to like stuff, but, uh, so there's a lot of firehouse, a lot of George Strait, some Garth Brooks, but, uh, yeah, I had a, uh, I had a Discman. Or I had a Walkman, and then I had a Discman. I just remember, God, we played, uh, so you go on the West Coast trip, mm-hmm. and the West Coast trip was 20, it was usually 18 to 20-something hours out there, and, you know, you'd stop, but you had to get out there, and you play all the West Coast teams, and I'll tell you, like, we, we lost, and we had a rule, like, if you won, you got to watch a movie after the game, if you lost, you didn't. Okay. And we went five and one on that trip, and you play seven games. We went five and one going into the last game. And the last game, we're up, like, uh, we're playing against Portland, and Portland had a really good team and whatever. But I scored the first goal, and then they pumped pin straight on us. So uh, I did everything in my power to get kicked out. So I got into like three fights and got kicked out. But the, <laughs> the worst part was that we had to take it, we had a, we had a 27 hour bus ride home. So, you know, you go to sleep, and we're like, okay, next day, coach, let us watch a movie, you know. No, coach didn't let us watch a movie. So wow. to answer your question in a roundabout way, I had my uh, had my shock absorbing uh, disc man at the time. So yep. it, it had the three second uh, delay, I guess, whatever you call it. Um, yeah, whenever you hit a bump. Yeah. Oh yeah. So at that <laughs> time, uh, that year was like my third year, I think it was second or third year. I was listening to Pearl Jam versus that album. Uh, that was yeah. on heavy rotation. So I had Great that. Fact, so, yeah. uh, Oh yeah, I had that. And obviously, Metallica, Guns N' Roses. I'm a I'm a I'm a hair metal guy too. So I like uh, I like me some uh, Motley Crue. I like some Poison stuff like that. So uh, I like a little bit of everything. But yeah, like even Pantera, I like the heavier stuff. So, but yeah, back then I just remember Pearl Jam was on heavy rotation. That's and a lot of George Strait, Firehouse, some of those hair metal bands. So all good. Absolutely. So, you know. You you mentioned that you played all four years in the WHL, and your last year, the 95-96 season, you were the captain of the team. So as you were the captain, did you get control of the music selection then? <clears throat> um, yes, yeah, so I got control of the music selection, uh, I believe, my second or third year, because oh, okay. I, <laughs> I couldn't stand listening to some of the music, but... Um, yeah, even when I played in the NHL, like even in Colorado of all places, I I would make the warm up tapes for uh for a warm up or actually CD. So I had a CD burner. So it was back when you had to, you know, put a CD in, burn a song, then put a different yep. CD in, burn another song. So and guys liked it for the most part. We always had a couple guys that would uh, gripe a little bit. So I always get a laugh out of that. Like, oh, this song's terrible. I'm like, you know how long it took me to burn this <laughs> CD? Yeah, right. So, like you know back in the day like it took forever just to burn one cd so and that was the uh, worst yeah, yeah so i was able to take over the musical but yeah but uh most guys like a lot of the same stuff i guess i mean now it's a little different uh like my kids were into classic rock and you know they loved like they turned me on to some like queen songs and acdc songs i didn't even know about 
That's and then awesome. we come back to all, hell yeah, but then we come back to Alberta now. They're all into uh, uh, hip hop and rap, and which is fine. I like some Dr. Dre, and, uh, Snoop, and old school Biggie stuff. But like that's all they listen to now. And I'm like, oh my god, how do you go from like we're in Florida and you're listening to classic rock and heavy metal, and now we're in Alberta, like where there's a lot of farmers, and yeah, ranchers, right. and there's obviously big cities too. But it's a big country music kind of province, and I'm like, now you guys are all into hip hop. I'm like, this is so bizarre. So. <laughs> yeah did you feel a lot of pressure when you had to make those mixtapes oh yeah nah, not really i mean like so we when you when you play you're you're lucky to meet a lot of people and you also were able to meet the guys like godsmack staying disturbed i mean so uh you know you just you put in your classic you put in a metallica song i'd always put in a godsmack song um it was a Buck Cherry song, you know, Lit Up, so obviously a good one. And then uh, yeah. Lit, had a, Lit had a really good song. Um, so it, was, it wasn't too hard. It wasn't too hard to make a, uh, a warm-up warm tape. But, yeah, there was always – we had this one guy, John Clem, and he was great. He was a good guy, but we just called him Grumpy Old Man because everything was like, ah, what are you doing? Ah, this is terrible. <laughs> ah. So he was always the guy who's like, ah, this song sucks. This is crap. I'm like, what about the other ones? Yeah, they're okay. <laughs> It turned out he liked most of the music I like. I'm like, but he just do that just to give me a hard time. So, yeah, wasn't too bad. I can relate though because like I I uh, organize some tailgates here in, in North Carolina for for when the Islanders are in town, and like when I have to make a playlist for the tailgate, I'm like, I can't just play only the music I like because you know there's people that all ages coming to it, and like you, you kind of just want to make like a crowd friendly playlist. So there's definitely pressure when you when you get control of the music selection oh, yeah. so um dinger i want to ask you about uh being drafted in the first round by i'm assuming your rival team because you grew up in edmonton and then the calgary flames drafted you what was that like uh, it was great <clears throat> i mean obviously there's a rival yeah i was a big weather fan growing up at edmonton and the big joke was, oh, you know, I feel getting drafted by Calgary. I didn't give a crap. I mean, <laughs> I was happy to be drafted, so it didn't bother me one bit. So, but that was like the big joke. Like, oh, are you gonna, everyone going to be Calgary fans now or whatever? And my buddies were still Oilers fans, so it was just more of a fun thing, um, you know, for the media, I guess, and, you know, people to talk about that, you know, Edmonton guy, Oilers fan, gets drafted by Calgary, but... You know, Jerome McGinley was another guy that, you know, he wasn't drafted by Calgary, but played a long time there after being traded for Joe Nodyke. So, uh, it worked out good. I mean, it was great. I, I love getting booed. I love coming <laughs> back to Edmonton and getting booed. I mean, he might get traded from Calgary. I love going back here and getting booed. So, it actually worked out pretty good just because uh, my girlfriend at the time has been my wife for a long time. We've been together forever. Uh, it was nice and close. So, it was a two-and-a-half-hour drive. So for her to come down and visit, or my parents, it was great. Or my friends, so it was actually good in that sense. So you're away from home, and you know you're young, but uh, you're still close enough where people could come down. So I had no problem with it at all. Cool. Yeah, I, I just like might never get another opportunity to ask that question, just because like you know, as as a hockey fan, like we we take rivalries so personal, and like you know. I, I couldn't imagine, you know, if I played hockey, if the Rangers drafted me, how that would go. But that that that's cool to hear that perspective. You know, you you just were appreciative to be in the show. 
yeah. You change your allegiance very quickly. <laughs> yeah, once once they start writing <laughs> yeah. the, those those paychecks. <laughs> yeah, you read my mind. <laughs> once you're paying your salary, <laughs> I'm paying my face red. Absolutely. I'm put a C on my back. So. <laughs> now you know you you mentioned that you, you did get into a few scraps in the WHL, but you know your your game was definitely well-rounded in the WHL. Like, for example, you scored 83 points in the 94-95 season. Like, that's those are huge numbers. And then you get drafted by Calgary. Did Like, at that training camp, did you feel like you had to change your role to make the team? No, it wasn't about changing your role. Uh, I mean, when they drafted me, they knew they were getting, they were getting a big physical guy they liked to hit. And, you know, I could score. And, Play with skilled players. I was a good complimentary player. So when you do that, you had to fight. There was no like now where it's like, ah, I don't want to fight. The refs get in the way. You guys know that. Back then, when you ran someone over, you had to answer. So which was great. And you knew that. So and then they knew the player they were getting. I made a joke to one year with Al Coates, who's the director of player personnel. I said, Yeah, I think I'm going to go for Lady Bing next year. You know, uh, <laughs> he looked at me and he goes, You'll be out of a job if you do that. And I was like, Okay, I guess I'm not doing that. But, uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was lucky to play with some good players. And the year you're talking about, I scored uh, 40 goals and 43 assists. I played with Marty Murray and Darren Ritchie. And, you know, they were great, great skilled players. Like Marty was an unbelievable centerman. He played, you know, he played the show a little bit. He should have played a lot more, to be honest with you. He was a really, really good player. Um, but, you know, like a bigger guy playing with those two, you go to the net and you go in the corners. And, like, so I played them my third year. Basically, if anybody touched them, I just grabbed them and pounded them. So, created a lot of room for them, which they liked. And in turn, uh, I was able to play with them and was able to produce. So, it worked out good. So, yeah, you just, you know, that was a big thing when I went to junior. My parents were <clears throat> very adamant that they didn't want me to be, uh, you know, a goon or a fighter. You know, Kelly McCrimmon was very, you know, adamant that he wanted me to be a player, which was true because he gave me every opportunity to play. And I played power play, I played penalty kill and, you know, all that. But again, when you when you run people over, <laughs> you're gonna have to answer. People get mad, so it's just part of your game. So, uh, yeah, just going into the NHL is the same thing. It's just be physical and uh, you know try and hit and try and score and you know keep it simple. So, uh, yeah, basically it's just it's the way you played. It's the way I played, and that's the way the game was played in that era. And you know, it was, uh, you had to fight. <laughs> that's the best way to put it. You had to. You had to fight. Even the skilled guys, like I always say that, like the skilled guys in the dub, and even the NHL, like in the, especially in the dub, though, like the skilled guys, you had to fight at least once or twice a year because there was always a line brawl or, or sometimes, you know, we had some bench clearing brawls, but uh, the mm-hmm. skilled guys, you always had to fight. There's another skilled guy, which was fine, you know, <laughs> but uh, boys loved it, like when the skilled guys fought. So uh, that's what we missed, I think, with the rivalries when you're talking about, you know, like the Islanders, the Rangers, what you do if you go to the Rangers, like, you know, they, when Edmonton and Calgary had that big game, you know, for Kachuk and Cassie in those couple of games, and, you know, Kachuk and Cassie finally fought. I mean, that was great, but the the best part about that were the goalie fights was the Mike Smith uh, and Talbot fight, and then yeah. uh, it was Monaghan and uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I think it was. It, but that was awesome. Like, that was that was better than Cassie and Kachuk because when you see skill guys get mad, and you know they can't really hurt each other because they don't really practice fighting, right? But yeah, right. Like, that was oh, that was the best them part. Trying to throw punches is like unbelievable. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the best part of it. So that's what I enjoy about hockey. You know, obviously, 
the you know being competitive and you know uh, just having that fire. But uh, yeah, hockey's meant to be sports are meant to be played with an edge. So when you do that, people get mad, and when people get mad, uh, you usually end up fighting. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, moving forward a little bit. So you know, obviously you end up being a part of that trade with with Flory. Uh, going to the abs and obviously, you know, on, on, you know, with Colorado is where you, you won that first cup. And I mean like that, that team, that 2001, you know, team, you know, Ray Bork, Forsberg, why Joe Sackick. I mean, like just like an incredible list of, of, you know, just wild players. So, you know, what was it like getting to play on that team, you know, with those guys and obviously being a part of their success, you know, being uh you know not only in that enforcing role but you know being being there and and just being part of that organization that was good enough to you know to get to that cup you know what was that like um obviously getting traded to colorado was was great you know, i went to the minors and Terry flurry went to the nhl and you know next year I ended up making the team uh which was was great and they needed a physical player and i knew that so i had no problem you know, doing that, I looked at it this way. Do you want to uh, do you want to be a goal scorer in the American Hockey League and make, you know, 50, 75 grand? Or do you want to be a fighter in the NHL and make, you know, 400 plus? <laughs> that yeah. was an easy, it was a pretty easy uh, choice for me. So, you know, it was great. It was, uh, you know, it was a great team. It was, uh, the atmosphere was awesome. And they were all about winning. Like, that was, you know, you look at the teams like the Oilers in the 80s and the Islanders and those dynasties. and I mean, it was like they were all about winning. It wasn't about, you know, coming from Calgary. It was you know, our goal is to make the playoffs. And in Colorado, their goal is to win the Stanley Cup. So it was awesome. I love the atmosphere. You know, the guys were awesome. Uh, you know, my first year there, I think our, our defense was so good that um, yeah, we'd actually dress 7D and they'd dress myself and Jeff Rogers on the fourth line. And Audrey was like a tough guy. He was a real tough guy, but he was only like 5'10. So. I, mean, I felt bad for him. He'd have to fight all the heavyweights. But the beauty of that was <clears throat> we we didn't either have uh, Joe Sackett or Peter Forsberg with double shifted center between us, which was unbelievable. Like, that was great because I get to play with Peter Forsberg or Joe Sackett. <laughs> so, yeah. oh, the guy was so good. So, that was, you know, this year I scored. It was my best year. I scored eight goals. And, you know, seven of them were assisted by Forsberg or Sackett. And one of them was assisted by Brian Rolls. <laughs> I tip it on the power play. So, you know, just to be able to play with those types of players was phenomenal. I mean, it was great. So, and good guys too. So, awesome. The fact, yeah. So it was a uh, it was a great experience going there and getting to play with Ray Bork and you know all the you know all the pressure of trying to win one for him and yep. yeah yeah it was it was awesome really good awesome uh so sure you do could you tell me your, your first NHL goal <clears throat> oh man. I think it was on Patrick Law. To be honest, oh. I think it was uh, I think it was like a wraparound, five old wraparound. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong, <laughs> but I what I do remember my first year is uh, you know I remember playing. I was playing a flurry in Castles to start the season. I remember mm-hmm. a game where I I lined up against. We were playing Detroit, and I lined up against Iserman, uh, Fedorov, and, and I think it was McCarty or someone. 
And I'm sitting there going, like, what am I doing out here? Like, Jesus, like, I shouldn't be out here. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, uh, like, someone asked me one time, oh, when, was, when was your, like, I made it moment or something? I was like, I don't know if it was like I made it, but I was like, holy crap, man, what am I doing here? So, uh, yeah, so it was, I believe it was against Patrick Waugh. It wasn't an end-to-ender. It was just like a greasy wraparound. Um, I scored the second game of the season. And then I scored the sixth game of the season. And I thought I was going to score 40. And needless to say, I didn't score for three months. So I got <laughs> we started the season like two and ten, and yeah, guys are complaining about ice time. So I got moved to the fourth line, and then we're on the fourth line playing for Brian Sutter. You're just chopping guys and whacking them. But uh, yeah, so you guys are Isles guys. You're gonna enjoy this. So I hadn't scored in like three months. <clears throat> we go into Madison Square Gardens, and Gretzky's there, and Richter. So I'm out on the ice against Gretzky because you know they thought I wasn't very good, and you know a little did you know Gretzky didn't really feel like playing defense, so. Uh, he's trying to play defense on me, but not really trying. And I take the puck and I try to wrap around on my backhand on Richter. I get the rebound. I go bar down. And I score and I'm like, I'm pumped because it's Madison Square Gardens and Gretzky and Richter and all the boys are like, yeah, freaking nice. You know, when I get back to the bench and Brian Sutter takes one look at me, he goes, it's about effing time. And I was like, come on, man. Can I just enjoy it a little bit? Like, and so, anyways, I ended up with three goals. <laughs> so, I thought I was going to be on fire. You know, it's hard. It's hard to play in the NHL. It's hard to make it there. It's hard to stay there. It's hard to score. It's hard to consistently score. So, you know, it's funny when everyone has an opinion and everyone critiques guys. And, you know, for the elite players, like your Mike Bossy's back in the day, and I had Brian Trotchy. Brian Trotchy was my assistant coach in Colorado. Like, what a good guy. So many intricacies of the game he taught me. Like, just little things. And, you know, for guys like that to be – you know, Crosby, you know, McDavid now and uh, Ovechkin, for guys like that to be that good year after year. I mean, I don't think people realize how hard it is with, you know, video and all this, all the studying they do of teams and what they do in the power play and, you know, the breakout and all these kind of things. But to be able to score consistently year after year is phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Now, um, that first time you won the Stanley Cup, do you remember what you did with the Cup? Oh, yeah. Oh, you want to hear about it? <laughs> yes, yeah, so you have your day, and I both uh, both times I won. Actually, I got it on my birthday, uh, which was great. So the guy was a little late coming in, and uh, from the last party, and so the the cup guy, you know, he brings a cup in the case, and so it's like, okay, what are you gonna do? So, you know, basically, I just took it around. I rented a uh, like a limo bus kind of thing, whatever. Yeah, I just went around to you know, golf course, hospital see some kids um, <clears throat> in some restaurants and stuff that my buddies uh, own and stuff. And, and then just had a party. Uh, but actually before the party, we had, uh, I had in my parents' backyard. So, you know, I went to take pictures and stuff. And, you know, then I had a party and uh, yeah, I had a live band, uh, cover band. And so I got to, you know, I, I play drums. So I like to get up and have a little fun. So yeah, the best part about it uh, for me was, I'll tell you the worst part, and I'll tell you the best part. So the worst part is that everybody wants a photo, which is great, and uh, no problem. But everybody wants a photo of you hoisting the cup over your head. And, <laughs> you know, after about two or three hours, I'm a pretty strong guy, and I work out, but that thing's kind of heavy. <laughs> so when you, you spend, like, two or three hours with it over, hoist it over your head, not only are your pits sweating, like, you wouldn't believe, but, like, your arms start, start cramping and, yeah, get a little sore. But so that's the worst part. And the best part is, like, for me – uh obviously you know being able to like get up and play drums and enjoy it but just to see 
uh, just how excited everyone else got, like all my family and friends. And, you know, that was uh, for me just that's what I enjoyed just to see how excited. And the rules are, you know, it's up to the player. So I can hand you the cup and you can hoist it if I hand it to you. And, you know, the player kind of dictates things have changed a little bit, but uh, the player dictates, um, you know, what's, uh, what, what people are able to do. So uh, it was funny. They were asking, like, so I was playing drums and the cup guy's like, hey, are they allowed to drink out of it? Because my buddy's like, you know, wanted to drink out of it. I said, yeah, sure, no problem. So they're filling it up with beer. And so my buddy's holding it and there's a line for everyone to drink out of it and, and stuff like that. But uh, the best part about the first one was, uh, so the cup guy, you know, he travels around. And there's two different guys. There's, you know, it was obviously the, the, the famous guy. You know, it's Phil Pritchard and Mike Bolt. The guys are on TV and you see them all the time. But there's a couple other guys that's, that do it too. And uh, so the guy we had, or my first time the guy had, uh, he's a younger guy. And so they, when they handle the cup, they have the black, you know, they have the black jackets, the Hall of Fame jacket, and they have the white gloves. And mm-hmm. you know, I said to the guy, I said, hey, listen, it's kind of a, you know, it's a casual party. You know, it's just jeans and whatever. So you don't need to bring a jacket or whatever. You know, you don't have to just casually. He's like, well, I'll bring it just in case. And so I never forget. <laughs> we had we had like so on the side of the stage, they had a little setup where they had a table and uh, they had the cup on the table under this light. And it looked really good for pictures. And so I knew it was going to be a good night when. Uh, so I I'm playing drums and I look over and my buddy's got the jacket on, the white gloves, and he's got his arm on the cup and taking a picture. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a good night. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh that was just kind of some fun and so then nothing crazy uh just had a basically had a party had some live music and just uh try to just share it with family friends basically and then uh usually and then at the end of the night uh you know i slept with it but uh before that uh <laughs> i just like to i like to sit what i did is you know i had a bunch of people back to my place after um you know the we i'd rented a space at uh at a club here in Edmonton and you know when we closed that down went back to my place and uh I just do the, what I like to do is I'd sit at the table <clears throat> I just ask my wife politely to give her everyone give me a few minutes and I just uh like I just like to look at the names and it's pretty surreal like you know all joking aside I like to have fun and sports should be fun and I mean there's so many great stories but like I was uh, just to be able to look it's the Stanley Cup <clears throat> and you know Chris Dingman my name's on there with Larry Robinson, you know, Mike Bossy, yeah. Brian Trache, Danny Podvan, you know, Mark Messe, Wayne Gretzky, Serge Savard, like, going yeah. down the line. So that was like probably the best, like at the end of the night, to just to look at the names and, you know, the history of that trophy and the people that have won it and what they had to do. And, you know, again, like, you know, growing up in Edmonton, being an Edmonton guy, the Oilers, you know, I had Steve Smith for, he's my assistant coach my first year in Calgary. And, you know, everyone remembers that one where he banked it off Grant Fear's leg and they lost that year and Calgary went on to win the cup. And, you know, they, the next year, uh, Gretzky gave it to when they won. Gretzky gave it to Steve Smith. He was first. He gave it to him. But, like, people forget that there was a game seven that year. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was a game six. There was still a game seven after that. But, you know, just to see all the names and the guys and even, you know, like Peter Pockington, he was the owner. And, uh, the Oilers, and he tried to put his wife's name on it, so it's axed out. There's stuff like that, <laughs> this little thing. You know, if you look at it up close, the thing's beat up. Like, it's been, you know, it's been dropped. It's been knocked down. It's been in yeah. pools. It's been everywhere. So just the history of it. I think that's why people revered so much, and us hockey fans and people who play the sport. It's just a great trophy. I look at it like, like you can drink out of it. You can sleep with it. You know, you put your kids in it. You know, your daughter, if you want, you can eat out of it. 
you know, and uh, you look at like the World Series trophy, it's got all these like flimsy little flags. Like, what are you going to do with that? And in the NFL one, it's like a crystal football or whatever. Like, what, what are you going to do with that? Like, give it yeah, to Yeah, exactly. Say, right, yeah. yeah, say, listen, you hang on to this. Uh, just don't break it, okay? Or we're going to get in trouble. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you, you win the cup with, with Colorado. Uh, you know, then uh, you, you know, you, you end up with the Lightning. And uh, you win another cup there. So, uh, you know, what was, uh, like, the fundamental differences, would you say, between the culture in Colorado and the culture in Tampa Bay? Obviously, you know, because when you think about hockey, you usually don't think about Florida, you know, like who really thinks about Florida. But obviously Tampa Bay became one of those teams that really came up. So, uh, you know, what was the difference in the culture between the two teams? And uh, what did you, what were your experiences like, you know, playing down in, in Florida? And how was that for you? Um, well, it was good. Cause I, you know, I'd won in, I'd won in Colorado and then I got traded the second day of the draft to Carolina and I was penciled in to, you know, play on the third line and get more ice time. And, and I heard my groin in training camp and Paul Maurice was like, take your time. You're not gonna lose the spot. And then when I came back, I was playing, you know, like five, six minutes a game, not getting a shift the third period. And I was just like, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm coming off. Like I was playing, like, I think I was averaging like eight or 10 minutes in the finals and, you know, I really felt that was my time to try and be more than a fourth line guy, I guess. And sure. uh, so I was looking for a move and I got traded to Tampa. And, you know, it's funny when I went there, there were so many guys hurt. Like everyone was injured. Like Marty St. Louis was hurt. Freddie Modine was hurt. Tim Taylor was hurt. Dan Boyle. Like they were like, so we get guys injured and they call guys up literally from the East Coast. Like straight up. Oh, wow. This one guy, oh, this one guy came up from the East Coast. I'm not going to say his name, but he's. Kind of like chirping, like, oh, what's up with this and that? And a guy, a guy looked at him and goes, are you, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you just <laughs> yeah. came from the East Coast. Like, shut the hell up. <laughs> like, yeah, just, you're be in, happy yeah. You're, yeah, just be happy you're here. So, uh, you know, going to Tampa was, uh, it was an adjustment, but it was, you know, before I had gotten there, there was a bit of that, uh, I guess, catch club atmosphere where, you know, guys would go there, you know, in your expansion team, first first off, you have older guys. And, yep. You know, you could golf, so guys would, like, literally, like, race out of practice and, you know, have their golf ready to go and go golf. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when I got there, Tortorella was there, and he was changing the culture. And, you know, there was uh, – that wasn't happening anymore, and he had these great young players. So, you know, the difference between Colorado and Tampa, and people ask me, like, what it was, like, winning and the difference between the teams. And I just always say, like, Colorado, you had your established superstars. Like, you had your Ray Borks, you had your Rob Blakes, your Patrick yep. Wads, your, you know, Forsberg Sackett going down the line. Sure. And in, in Tampa, you had these great young players and Brad Richards and Daniel Cavalier and Marty St. Louis who were, I would say, like, really good players, but they became elite players in that time in that Stanley Cup run and, you know, what they did. So uh, it was a good experience. So obviously, winning is great. And, you know, you people say Tampa or wherever, but it doesn't matter where the team's located. And like people, it's funny. We, we beat Calgary in the finals. Everyone's talking about how passionate Calgary's fans are. And the Canadian team needs to win. Well, we had more Canadians on our team than Calgary did. <laughs> like in Tampa. So people were booing us. And like, they were like, you guys are like, you guys are actually kind of dumb. Cause we have more Canadians in the actual Calgary Flames. <laughs> and you know, I played in Calgary in 97. They were awful. And I mean, probably due to me, but like, you know, there's other players too, but, uh, <laughs> I can't take all the blame that they weren't good, but like there was literally 12, 13,000 people in the stands. And it was like, you could hear a pin drop and then we're playing them in the finals in 04. 
and they got the red mile and like the place is rocking. Everyone's like, oh my God, these passionate fans. I remember like I always take a cab to the rink early with Daryl Sador and I just chirped the fans. I'm like, where the frig were you guys in 97? Like way to jump on the chuck wagon now. So uh, like what, I think what people don't understand is like when you think of uh, Florida and Phoenix and like what kind of gets lost is it's, you know, like, so even the Panthers, like where they built their rink, it's in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. You know, there's their fans, their original fan base don't live where the rink is, but they got, you know, they got a good land deal. And same with Phoenix. Like Phoenix has a ton of hockey fans, but, you know, when your original fan base is in Scottsdale and you get free, you know, you get cheap land out in Glendale, which is a minimum 50, 55 minute drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you expect people to do that like two, three times a week or 41 times a year if you got you know, season tickets. Uh, you know, it's not really feasible. So I think what people don't maybe understand is it's, there's so many people that have moved down to your Phoenix is here, you know, here in Tampa. Like there's a ton of people from New York and you know, from Toronto, Ontario, Montreal, you know, I was from Alberta. So there's a ton of people that have moved down there. You know, the fan base is actually really, really passionate and knowledgeable. And that's where, when we had those owners, uh, so when Mr. Davidson sold the team to, uh, Warren Coles and Len Berry, you know, the saw guy, the, the guy that did all the saw movies, well, they'd have these town hall meetings <clears throat> and, you know, the fan, like the fans could ask questions. And I, I, they really took for granted that, you know, we had passionate fans that were knowledgeable about hockey. And, oh, my God, like some of the questions were like, can you explain to me how you can trade Dan Boyle for Bubba, for Matt Carl and the pick and whatever? And, and like, oh, my God. It was like, and then, like, I'm still buddies with the PR guy, the VP of communications. And, like, they're looking at him like they're trying to save the owners. And, like, the and Brian Lund, who's the GM, and it was like, oh, my God. But they just saw it. You know, well, it's just people in Florida. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know hockey, and they really underestimated. They are passionate about hockey, and they are knowledgeable about hockey. And man, a couple of those were uh, a couple, uh, a couple of those uh, town hall meetings and stuff, and those fan interactions were didn't go very well. But uh, you know, it was uh, it was great. My experience there was great. Winning was great. You know, the year before we played Jersey, and we got them to five games. We lost in triple overtime, and you know that was really like a. Hey, we're we're a pretty good team. You know, we got Nikolai Habby bowling in nets, and you know we got a good young defense, and we got good good young players. And you know, the year before we won, uh, you know, I was kind of like, okay, we can play, like we can compete. And then you know, we played Detroit uh, that year too, and then it was like, okay, you know, there's like, you know, back in the day, you know, the Islanders, New Orleans, they were the the Flames, they were the measuring in the '80s, they were the measuring stick. You know, if you're yeah. an elite team or you're a good team, how do you fare against them? And then you look at the late nineties or the mid to late nineties, you know, you had Colorado and, and uh, Detroit yep. and they were like your measuring stick. And, you know, was, that was what was great about playing in Colorado was that, you know, you got everyone's A game. Like you weren't catching anybody sleeping, like coming into Colorado, like, uh, you know, this is going to be an easy game. No, you got everyone's A game because they knew like if they didn't bring their A game, you're, you could, you're going to pound them. You're going to beat them. So, uh, you know, we looked at it that way. So, we took Jersey to five and then we said, okay, we can, you know, we can compete. And then the next year we, you know, just got more confidence. And as the season went along, uh, you know, it worked out well for us. And, uh, you know, we had some good matchups, but uh, it was just, a, so again, I, kind of, I know I'm kind of rambling on, but uh, it was, Tampa was just a team that was just coming into its own where it was a good team that became a great team and good players that became great and elite players. And, it was awesome. So it was a great experience all around. Everything uh, about it. Twenty-three thousand people in the building for Game Seven. We had twenty thousand on the plaza. Uh, it was great. 
really good. Yeah, you don't have to sell us on Tampa fans. We were just actually there in January, and it was rocking for a regular season game. Yeah, the only <clears throat> the only thing that would happen is a couple times is you know it's actually cheaper to go to Tampa. You know, fly down there or whatever, and like go to Disney for a couple of days and go to a game, get a hotel, and buy the tickets than it is to go to a game in Montreal or Toronto. Oh, absolutely. See those people, even Chicago. So we had some, there was a couple of times where there was a ton of Detroit fans, even Detroit, like, you know, in Chicago, there was a couple of times where there was a lot of fans from the other team. Uh, and people go, oh, yeah, like, look at these fans. Who are a lot of the uh, season ticket holders? They sell their season tickets for like triple the value. <laughs> for that one game for those fans to come down so no I, I could definitely see that and, and like you mentioned all the transplants down there but um, you know on your road to the cup you, you had to you know in that first round face the Islanders what do you remember about that series because <clears throat> I, I know you guys you know I, I was actually at one of those games I don't remember exactly which one but, you know, you guys definitely controlled the series from the start. But, you know, the, the Nassau Coliseum was definitely rocking that night. And, like, do, do you remember anything specific about playing on Long Island in that series? Yeah, like, a couple of things like, with that series was uh, they had, you, you guys still, like, so the Islanders still had Kenny Johnson, who's a good D-man. Um, and they had uh, Steve Webb, so... You know, he'd run around and like the fans loved him and Andre Wall and myself were trying to fight him the whole time. But you know, obviously remember the big goal by uh, Marty St. Louis when he picked Kenny Johnson's pocket. And but a little known thing about um you know, I guess maybe that series and stuff was so Mike Milbury was still the GM at the time. And something had happened where they tried to get in early at our rink and there was like, you know, like we had there was an issue or something. So he thought we were messing with him. Like he thought our team was messing with him, and which we weren't, because that's not the kind of organization we were, or, and anything like that. So we went to Long Island, and like, the, like, I don't know if you've ever been down in the arena or like you're in the dress room level, but the dress rooms are tiny. Like it's an older arena, and it's not like today's buildings where they're massive. And so you needed two rooms for sure, just to fit an entire team and your your training staff and your tables and stuff. And so we get there, and like so only the other rooms locked. He painted the other room, painted the hallway, and Tortorella was pissed. Like, he was sour. He was like, F this, F that. He was like, oh, my God. He went right in there and, like, got in Milbury's face. And, like, so a lot of people don't know that story. So, uh, but, yeah, the building was great. It was an older building. I saw uh, it was a fun place to play. Uh, I just remember just beating him. I remember the Marty St. Louis goal. I think it was, top, uh, it was the top shelf goal he picked uh, Johnson's pocket. So, uh yeah, so just that little side bit. So the stuff that goes on, I guess the game within the game, or the stuff behind the scenes. So I just remember Torch was just losing his mind because <laughs> you know he coached there before, and so the whole dressing room thing, he just went in and snapped. So it sounds like Mike Milberry. Oh yeah, Torch just lost it because we weren't even doing anything on our side of things. Like because I talked to our guys, like they had no idea. Like that there was like a. I think the issue was there was a there was a concert going on like in our building, you know there was a concert going on the day after or something or the day before, and you know whoever say Prince or Lady Gaga or something was using some of the rooms so they couldn't get 
they couldn't get one of their rooms till like a couple hours later the next day, but they're still able to get them. But he was salty about it. So yeah, that's your Mike Milbury story. <laughs> I love it. Well, we can all all agree on our hatred of Mike Milbury then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't hate him. I just I don't like watching him on TV. <laughs> yeah, we're all there. We're all there. So I guess the last thing I want to touch on real quick uh, about that uh, run to the cup is that goal that was called a no goal in Calgary. Now, when when you watch it back all these years later, like the fact that it was never reviewed and like really was the turning point in the series, like since you were on kind of like the the receiving end of that, like. How, how how do you guys on the lightning view that goal? Well, it's funny. We've, uh, you know, with everything that's going on in the world with COVID and, you know, Zoom calls and all this stuff. Um, you know, we had, uh, we've had a couple of Zoom calls with our old four team and, you know, get the guys together. And we talked about it and then we get our old video guy uh, who's still the video guy there now. Nigel's a great guy. So he had all the, he had like the videos, like from when we, you know, from the cup run. And then we, there's two different videos. There's one they, you know, the fans, they released the fans. Could have, and there's another one that's kind of a, a not safe for work one that has all the swear words and guys tripping <laughs> each other and stuff. And so it was pretty good. But, uh, so he pulled up the, the goal or the, the so-called goal and they showed it and it wasn't over. Like it wasn't completely over the line. So like when everyone talks about it, it was in, it was in and you know, this and that or whatever, they're like, well, actually, it wasn't. So, you know, we watched it on Zoom call. We're all kind of laughing. But, you know, I look at that, and obviously it's unfortunate for Calgary, and they thought they'd scored and won and, you know, that. But I think I could tell my kids, uh, you know, because, like, you know, when the kids are younger and stuff, even goalies back in the day, like, goalies cheat all the time. Guys cheat, you know, pitchers, you name it. Hitters, they put pine tar on the bat, you know, whatever. <clears throat> I always tell my kids, like, if you're going to score – you better make sure you hit the back of the twine. You better make sure it bulges so there's no question about it. Because there's like times when my kids were in a tournament or something, like it was over the line and the goalie pulled it back out. And so I just always think of that. And I think of that goal where, <clears throat> you know, maybe, you know, maybe he thought he scored, maybe he thought it was in. But, you know, again, let me look through the video and, and it showed that it wasn't conclusive. That, and, then, you know, for a goal of that magnitude, it's got to be conclusive. It's got to be 100% that it was you know, over the line and it wasn't so unfortunate as it was for Calgary, you know, uh, it was fortunate for us, but the, again, like, so I brought up that Steve Smith story earlier, you know, about when he scored on Grant's year, that was game six. There was still game seven. So no one talks about game seven. All they talk about is game six and Steve Smith scored his own goal. And but meanwhile, Grant Pier was standing out in the middle of the crease where he should have been on his post. So the same for us was that, you know, that's the you know, that goal wasn't allowed or it wasn't in or whatever, wherever you want to describe it. You know, we still went to double overtime. We still scored in double overtime. And there still was a game seven. And, you know, we still had to win that game. And then we still had to win game seven. So, you know, I feel bad for, you know, some of the guys in the Flames because, you know, Stefan Yell was a guy I played with and won a cup with in Colorado. He was a great guy. And obviously, Jerome McGimma, you know, I played with him in Calgary and we trained together. And, you know, I felt terrible for him because if there's a guy that, you know, should have won a cup, you know, that's, that's him, like just a great guy and a hard worker. So, you know, there's a few guys again that uh, you feel bad for, but the flip side of it is uh, there was still a game seven and they still had another game and they had an opportunity to win and they didn't. And we did. So, 
as unfortunate as it is for them, uh, it was fortunate for us, and we still had to go out and you know win a game seven. So it's it's hard to win. Like winning is hard, and you know I think people realize that a little bit. And you know in this day and age with fans and social media and stuff, and it's easy to critique guys and video and like why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? And, I mean everything that goes into winning, people don't realize it's guys get hurt and you need guys to step in and. You know, you need different things throughout a series and throughout a, a Stanley Cup run, and you need some bounces to go your way. And, you know, if you look back on every team that's won, there's always, like, one or two things that go in their favor. And, you know, maybe it was it, but, again, <clears throat> it wasn't conclusively in. They couldn't prove it was over the line 100%. So what are you going to do? I mean, yeah. as disappointing as it was for them, you know, it was an opportunity for us. Like I said, and, you know, we, we, we won that game, and we still won game seven. So, uh, again, I feel bad for yep. a few guys, but I don't feel that bad because uh, <laughs> I won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you got your name on the trophy. You got the uh, the accolades there. So I just want to um, shift it over and just uh, you know chat a little bit more music with you. So um, you know we uh, we were fortunate enough to have Cone from Some Forty One on our podcast uh, a couple of episodes back, and he told us a part of a story. Uh, where um, where you were partying with him. And uh, so uh, I don't know if you know the other side of that story, but that we definitely love to hear. But, uh, you know, on that note, um, you know, obviously, you know, you know, obviously you're, you're telling us, you know, a huge fan of 90s music and, you know, like, like metal and hair metal and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, these days, do you have a, are you listening to any like newer music? Do you have any favorite bands right now? But before I guess you hit that, I would love to hear about, uh, you know, that experience partying with uh, Cone and the Sum 41 dudes. Oh, <clears throat> yeah, we, uh, well, there was a couple times we, you know, we hung out. There's a time in Florida. <clears throat> we had a game in Toronto, and they came to the game. I got them tickets, and, you know, we went out and had a few beers. And, uh, and then I went, I was like, I'm going home. And they went to another bar, and our goalie, Johnny Graham, was with them. And, I was like, listen, make sure you get, you'll get him home, whatever. <laughs> and they didn't get him home in a timely manner. And he wasn't very good at practice the next day and torch lost his mind and whatever. <laughs> he was looking for something anyways, but, uh, you know, there was that. And then, uh, so they were opening up for Molly crew, uh, when they, when Molly was first doing their reunion tour. And so they were in Edmonton. So we went and, uh, we had backstage passes. So we we're hanging out with them and, uh, you know, it was funny. We took uh, we took him to a trip joint after the concert. So it was my wife and I and a couple other friends, and we took you know Cohen and the boys uh, to a strip joint uh, after the show. So we're kind of laughing. So I don't know if he told you that story, but uh, you know, good guy. Like uh, Cohen's a good guy. Yeah. All those, like all those guys are good guys. And you know, the thing is, like musicians, is that uh, a lot of them are not not very big. So you don't really realize that uh, until you meet them. That you know, you kind of, you're an athlete and I'm a, I'm a definitely a bigger guy and yep. you know, six, six, three, six, four. And you know, those guys are, a lot of them are of a smaller variety, like at 130, 140, 150 oh, yeah. pounds. And, but super talented. And they're like, what you find out through playing sports is that, and there was a joke from a guy that said that, you know, all hockey or all sports guys want to be musicians and all musicians want to be like sports guys. And, you know, like what we found or what I found in playing is you get to meet these guys. They're really good. It's, you know what they do and musicians and they're big hockey fans and you know i'm a drummer and i'm nowhere near as talented as any of those guys but you know i could play a motley crew song or a metallica song depending on which one and 
you know, Garth Brooks song or whatever. And nice. you know, I could jam with them, but nowhere near, but I think I could do it better than any of them could skate with me. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, say that, but absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, as far as, and second party question, uh, as far as new music, um, I still like, uh, like I still like the bands I liked. I still go back to, I still listen to my, my Molly Cruz, my poison, uh i like the new slipknot album i really enjoy it sweet uh yeah i'm really a big fan of that gojira um uh, nice i mean I like pantera godsmack still stained uh geez what else theory of a dead man you know, okay canadian band got to meet cool. those guys really good guys so uh i like a little bit of nickelback people gave me a hard time about that uh, <laughs> it, it's funny yeah, that you bring that up we uh, uh we talked to we were talking to cone you know about nickelback and i think we were chirping him because nickelback like beat him out uh for what was it the juno awards i think was it mikey yeah like every time and uh and we're like how does it feel that like nickelback's beating you and he's like oh come on man he's like they get a bad rap he's like you know chad kroger's a cool dude and we're like oh my god what what are you what are you even talking about but uh uh it, it's it really is funny um you know it it's kind of crazy because obviously you know like the kind of hard rock the metal world and it's funny you talk about uh slipknot we've been trying to figure out a way to get jay weinberg on you know on our podcast because you know he's a huge hockey fan so that's one of our uh our dream team guys so if uh you know you got any any ins with uh any of the dudes from slipknot you know just slip them our way yeah i wish i did <laughs> i once i found out it was uh it was bruce springsteen's drummer's son yeah right Swineberg, like that's unbelievable he didn't start playing until he was like 13 or 14 so yeah yeah i actually met so before he was in the band i knew a guy he was a bass rep for modulus guitars okay and in denver they had this they had a great rock station i don't know if it's still there but it was kbpi and it was like kbpi rocks rocky so we got went to a bunch of shows and i got to go and so i went and saw slipknot at the fillmore you know the fillmore is a very famous uh venues like they have one in san francisco i believe yep. denver and there's a couple mm -hmm. other places and <clears throat> and like so i go see slipknot with uh, martin school and my buddy and my wife and so we get to meet them and it's like you slipknot right but they don't take their mask off so yep. we go meet them we're talking to them whatever and the two guitars are like six five yeah they're big dudes like, they're yeah they're like big dudes and they're wearing these masks and you're like holy shit man like and they're intimidating you know, yeah. like, they're you're like, oh, my God, like, you're like, they're talking to them. They're talking to you all normal. And you're like, kind of like, Jesus. So we take a picture <laughs> with them. And it was, uh, it was either Corey. I can't remember so long ago, but there was one guy. It was, it was either Corey Taylor or Sean Kerhan, the clown. Like, one guy had his mask off and he was talking to us like, oh, how's it going? How's the season? Whatever. And then the rest of them, none of them took their masks off. So, like, I have this picture somewhere. I got to find it. But, like, I was, like, I was intimidated. You know, because, yeah. like, these massive guys with these masks. So, uh, you know, and to be able to see them was, like, great. Uh, obviously, they're talented. And, yeah, I wish I had to hook up a new, uh, new one of those guys because I, I love their music. I, like, I like I like how heavy it is. I like I Corey Taylor's an amazingly talented guy. And yeah, the story how those, yeah, how those two bands merged where they were, you know, part Slipknot and then Corey had his band with the I think one or two of the guys they merged the bands together when they're in Des Moines. So yep, pretty pretty cool, like pretty uh pretty neat story. That uh, I mean to be in a band for fifteen or seventeen years or whatever, eighteen years, wherever it is, is pretty phenomenal. So you know I have I have all, all the respect 
respect to those guys that tour and travel. And I mean, to play the way they do, like, God, man, like, just my neck would be dying. Like, I would be in a neck brace just the way they play and uh, the, the effort they put out. So, so if I find a way, if I find a way to get in touch with them all, <laughs> I'll definitely try and put them in touch with you. Oh, that'd be awesome, man. And, and it's funny you mentioned uh, being in a neck brace because, uh, Slipknot uh, came around. This is back when I was still living on Long Island. I'm in I'm in Florida now, but this is probably I don't know maybe five or six years ago. And um, Slipknot was touring, and Corey Taylor like was in a neck brace, and he was and he had literally broken his neck, like, but was still out there like being Corey Taylor and like going insane and like head banging and all this stuff. But he was literally like, yeah, guys, I'm sorry. I broke my neck. So, uh, you may, you might not get the, uh, the full Corey Taylor experience. And then like second song in, like, I think he's playing psycho social and just like jumping all over the place. And I'm like, this guy's a maniac, an absolute maniac. Oh yeah. And even the fact that like, you know, the screaming part of it is that, like a lot of those metal bands, like even kill switch engage and uh, a lot of the heavier bands is like, those guys can sing. So even yeah. for a guy like Corey Taylor, like he's a good singer. So the screaming part of it, you know, I actually like when they, when they sing and just even, you know, everything they went through with Paul Gray and, you know, his passing in that album and everything. And I was watching a show where he was getting a tattoo. It was, you know, one of those tattoo shows where he was talking about his buddy dying and getting all emotional and stuff. And, Yep. You know, gone through a lot of things and touring's hard, man. Like getting to know like the guys from Stain and Godsmack and you know, I'm not trying to name drop, but like they're great guys and you know, again, three of the dead man, all those guys, like really you know, you go hang out in their bus and they're just waiting around all day to play for an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. And then you hang out and see your friends for a little bit and then the bus leaves at like midnight or twelve thirty on to the next city yep. or venue. That's why Spinal Tap was so classic, like Hello, Cleveland, or whatever. Yeah, right. Exactly. there because that's what it's like. And like for those guys to be able to sit around and then just like you know get it going and fire up all the energy, you know, at eight o'clock or seven thirty or nine o'clock whenever they go on stage is, you know, I have all the respect for those guys too because man, night after night after night to do it and ride a bus and you're all on a bus together and start out. So pretty cool, you know. Yeah, I mean uh, it's kind of like you have that uh you have a little bit of that experience yourself i mean you know riding like a bus junior. <laughs> yeah right exactly riding a bus you know going all over the place so uh you know definitely uh definitely the parallels there so uh you know one last quick question for you obviously we've been chatting with you about about an hour or so i know you're uh you know appreciate the time you've given us i know you're you're hanging out at the rink waiting for uh for your son to finish up but uh so the, the last question I have for you, your career was, was, was plentiful. Obviously, you know, you won championships and all that stuff. And I know you, you know, you obviously you're a drummer. Um, if you, if you could, you know, given all you've done, right. If you could go back in time and let's just say, you know, 92, 93, you know, rolls around, you're, you're chilling in Seattle and uh, I don't know, Dave Grohl breaks his leg and all of a sudden, you know, Nirvana approaches you and they're like, Yo, come play drums for us. Like, would you have put being a hockey player on hold if you got the opportunity to be in like a major rock band and like tour around the world? Like, would you have swapped that one for the other, or or would you, you know, have have never never gone back on what you've done? Oh, uh, when you say if Dave Grohl would have, I would say no because uh, I would have only had a career for another year or two before Kurt Cobain <laughs> yeah, passed that's away. True. So. That's true. And I guess not, so. Yeah. yeah. And I can play very limited guitar, and I'm a, I, I, 
and I don't know, I'm not a very good singer, so I definitely couldn't have done what Dave Grohl has done uh, transitioning from a drummer yeah, to yeah. lead singer guitars. Yeah. But uh, yeah, right. I don't know, like, hey, you know, you look back and uh, I mean, I love music. I really, I love what it means to, you know, classic rock and all, all different genres, country and rap music. And, you know, I love the uh, songs mean stuff to you. And you look at, you know, you watch tribute videos or even uh, like pump up, like for the, you know, all the hockey that's starting again and yeah i mean they they the music they put they do such a good job in the production uh so music means a lot to me and you know you guys i don't know how you guys are but uh you know i hear a song it reminds me of this and like you saw even a band like steen so they were in uh they were in denver when we had won the cup and they were there the day we had our parade and so we had a couple of guys mike bishock the guitarist and john Mysaki, the drummer at the time uh, he's no longer with them but uh you know they came to our stanley cup parade party and That's awesome. Ray Borks there, yeah. And they sold. But the funny thing, funny thing about it was they had just gone number one that week with Break the Cycle, so they sold seven hundred fifty thousand records in one week. And they got the presidential Rolexes, and like I'm like, man, you got a Rolex, Jesus, like that's pretty nice, you know, whatever. And they're like, but then so I get the cup and I hand it to John Mysaki, kind of he hoists it, and he takes a pay, you know, they're 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 like Boston area guys, right? So let's just say Massachusetts, whatever. Yeah, Springfield, and. They get to meet Ray Bork. So John calls his dad and they're, they're like super pumped. And I'm super pumped because they're there because I'm a music guy. Right. And I like their, their music. And they're like, yeah. so John calls his dad. He's like, Oh my God, I just, I just wasted the Stanley cup and I just met Ray Bork. And he was like almost in tears. And I was like, Holy crap, man. Like that means a lot to them. And so it's kind of funny. So they were there um, when they, you know, gone number one and you know, they we were able to share that with them. And then we, they had a, they had a show at the Fillmore and we went to the, Went and saw the show and I was able. They gave me a pass where I could go wherever I wanted and get beer out of their dressing room and stuff. And, Sweet. Uh, it was fun. So yeah, I guess to answer your question, uh, I don't know. Like to be to be a drummer, yeah. I mean, it would be great, but I, you know, I wouldn't have the experiences I have uh, doing something different. So, but I don't know, man. If I could be in like Pearl Jam, still playing. 20 some years later <laughs> selling out stadiums. Yeah. Right. That'd be, yeah, that'd be, uh, that'd be pretty good. So, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd change anything to be honest with you. I, I think if I could go back in time, I would have done a lot more power skating so I could have played a little longer. <laughs> 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 These guys are such good skaters now and stuff, but, uh, yeah, I think just, you know, you see guys now like a Ryan O'Reilly plays guitar and there's always like my played Sean Burke was a guy that played guitar and, you know, there's a lot of athletes that play, you know, musical instruments and stuff. And I think it's yeah. cool that you can do, you know, a couple different things. So, yeah, I don't know if I'd change. I don't know if I'd change anything because I probably wouldn't be here, man, if I would have played Molly Crew or <laughs> some of those bands. But yeah, that's, that's, probably, a, that's a volume. I'd be, yeah, I'd probably be below ground. So, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, well, yeah. We're, we are I'll, glad you're you're above ground with us, man. And I, those hypotheticals are tough, but, you know, you always got to just uh, just ask them to get that, uh, you know, funny little answer. So, uh but listen, man, it's uh, it's been such a pleasure, uh, you know, an honor to chat with you, man. Like I said, it's not every day that we get to, uh, you know, chat with someone who's, uh, you know, won two Stanley Cups and, uh, uh, you know, broke Bryce Salvador's jaw in half. So I mean, it's 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 totally awesome, man. So we 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 really really appreciate your time. Um, and you know, just to touch on one last thing that you said, you know, when you're talking about, you know, obviously, um. You know, the guy from Stain getting to, you know, touch the cup and meeting Ray Bork and being in tears, man. Like, it's funny. We uh, we talk to a lot of musicians who are so passionate about this sport. 
And I think a lot of them would feel the same way. I think, you know, a lot of the guys that we've talked to, if they had an opportunity to, you know, to, to be around the cup and, and get to touch it and get to, you know, realize, you know, that, you know, that, that passion that you have, you know, having been in the game for so long, um, I think they would love it. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is such a cool thing about having you on is we finally get to talk to someone from the perspective of someone who, who lived this, who played it. So uh, getting to, you know, share your experience with us and all that stuff, man, was super cool. We, we really do appreciate it. Um, and uh, we wish you all the best, man. Uh, you know, hopefully as, you know, we start getting hockey more, all the enthusiasm will be back. I'm super pumped about it, as I'm sure you are. But uh, again, man, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. the other side and i mean it doesn't get cooler than that it really doesn't man uh chris dingman super cool awesome dad great playing career i called it storied he tried to tell me it wasn't i'm not buying that uh you know an insight into someone who you know has just been you know rough his whole career and has kind of been that enforcer uh but you know I mean, how cool is that? You know, him talking to us about him, him scoring on Richter and, you know, Gretzky trying to defend him and being like, ah, screw this guy. He's not worth it. And he gets around Gretzky and he scores a fucking goal. What? Like, Jesus. Unbelievable, man. Yeah, hockey players are so humble. Like, he he made it seem like he didn't have a storied career. But Yeah, right? You have your name on the the Stanley Cup twice and, like, played – almost 500 games in the NHL. Like, you know, that's like at at that point, that's like a less than a percent of people who play hockey get to do that. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's wild, man. So I, I totally enjoyed that. Like I, I couldn't even really like chime in because I was just like a a little kid listening to, (laughs) you know, all of these amazing stories with names that like were from my childhood. And it's crazy to think as I was like a maybe a sophomore or junior in high school at that Islanders Tampa Bay Lightning game, like in the mm-hmm. playoffs, that one day in the future I would be talking to someone that played in that game. Like what? That doesn't make any sense to yeah. me. No, it like I said, it really is a wild thing, man. And uh 
you know, it, it's just, it's kind of surreal, you know, to have, uh, to be in a position where we get to have those conversations and we get to just, you know, let all you guys in on, you know, some of the, you know, some of the cool ins and outs of the game that like we would never get to hear. We would never get to get the experience. So, you know, uh, Dinger giving us that time, man, was just really super cool. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, really, like I said, uh, hopefully this opens the door for us to get some other, you know, players on so we can have that, that difference, you know, we can have our musicians on, we can have some hockey players on, you know, I, I think it's, it's really, uh, really something I'm looking forward to, but, uh, you know, having said that, obviously the interview, uh, we hope you really did enjoy, uh, but hockey's back. We've had some playing games. Uh, Give us some insight, Mikey. What do you think? Obviously, no fans. It's totally different. And, you know, they're doing some weird stuff like trying to pipe in like fake crowds. And Dude, I don't know, man. What are you thinking? I liked it, man. And, like, for I know baseball's doing the same with fake crowd noise. And, you yeah. know, it's pretty easy to predict, like, oh, the guy hit the ball. Like, here, let's chime in the fans. Like, yeah, that that's easy. But for hockey like such like such a fast moving sport yep to have like a goal reaction crowd noise still blows my mind that someone was able to like do that and not like prematurely do it you know what i mean like yeah. like oh i think this is going to be a goal uh let's let's have the crowd go wild kind of thing like it was <laughs> it, it's still kind of funny i know, i know that there's kind of mixed reactions online if people like it or not and yeah guys we just need to realize that these are unprecedented times and stop being such a stickler. Like just have fun. Like the NHL is trying to have fun. And isn't that what we want as fans? Like the NHL is such a boring league by the book league for them to do something kind of cool and out of the, out of the ordinary like this, like let's embrace it. I agree. I couldn't agree more, man. Obviously, like I said, it's, it's something that is just a little bit wild and it's something that, we've never encountered, but I mean, like, Hey, I mean, we are lucky enough that we've got this sport back. And obviously, you know, you look at the MLB right now, you know, we, uh, you know, they're having a rough time, uh, you know, and we just have to cross our fingers and hope that, you know, our hockey players are committed to being a little bit safer and we don't have any, you know, outbreaks that could potentially, you know, harm this process. But as of right now, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's looking promising. So, very very excited for uh, for what's to come for sure. Yeah, I, and you know I, I mentioned it in you know oh man now I'm getting ahead of myself but you know I mentioned that our our friends in Seltzer Time had an Instagram post go viral and it was just it went viral because they were kind of throwing shade at MLB and mm-hmm. it's it's like do do as the NHL does not as MLB. MLB and it's like yep whoever thought you would ever be able to say that? yeah exactly it, it just you know I I think it's a great it's a good thing for hockey and I think if hockey comes out of this you know having done everything right uh and minimizing their exposure I think it's going to be good for the NHL in general I really do so uh I'm pumped on it man very oh, much dude. so. I think uh, we're only day one. In. We're only day one. Like we're recording this today on Wednesday, July, July 29th. So it's day, you know, we're about to start 
day two of the games, and we got so much hockey ahead of us. Like, that was just, like, not even an appetizer. Like, yep, exactly. That, yesterday was just us smelling the food, c- cooking in the kitchen. Like, today <laughs> and moving on through the weekend, like, it is going to be hockey, hockey, hockey. And yep. as as my summer comes to a close and I have to start getting back in the mindset of returning to school and all of that, like, yep. this is the perfect final week of my summer vacation. And I'm going to embrace every, every second of it, watching as much hockey as I possibly can. And that being said, once again, go and download the Hot Mic app. Enter the code bar down breakdown and watch some hockey with me, with Tom, and we are going to have plenty of special guests joining us and giving us some guest commentary. Like, I can't spill the beans, but you are not going to want to miss this. Like, we have some cool, cool people joining us to watch hockey and just kind of hang out and interact and like let's continue to build this awesome community that we every day pinch ourselves over the fact that we get so like we love you we want to hang out with you guys download the hot mic app and hang out with us it's gonna be fun dude i think honestly couldn't have said it better myself man and on that note let's just let's just call it a day man i mean it doesn't get any better this interview with dinger man it it, it, i'm still kind of speechless man i'm still tripping over my words i'm just very very blessed to have uh have this opportunity and i really hope you guys enjoy the interview so uh my usual spiel you know it bardownbreakdown.com at bardownbreakdown at instagram at bdbd podcast on twitter interact with us you've got all our links check out our uh our uh our our, our new logo heavy oh yeah we got a new logo oh man uh tell us what you think about our new logo when we drop it you'll see it dropping tell us what you think it's uh it's awesome, man. Who uh, who designed it for us? Oh, I had a friend do it, and you know, there you go. they uh, they did a great job. The what I like had cooking in my brain, and what they came up with, like I don't even want to post the picture of what I sent them. Like it is ridiculous that what I sent and what it turned out to be, it's just it's some it's a story in itself. I agree. I agree. And and we'll tell that story at some point. But listen, check out all of our social media. Get with us. Make sure you subscribe. And listen, hot mic, man. We're going to be on there watching some hockey, talking some shit, and having a great time. So make sure you join us. On that note, Mikey, lead us into the future, brother. All right, Tom. As always, it's been real. Talk to you soon. Let's be with you. And also, it's you.